solid gold. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I was Kyle. I was gonna say I was with you up to the solid gold part because I was just imagining, yeah, some guy having Zen-like observations that, for whatever reason, are piercingly relatable. But when you when you say on solid gold, are you saying that he is trying to start some sort of uh, like Mormonism joke book thing that like people are gonna find his gold plated joke book, or am I reading too much into that? No, I think I, I what I my brain was going the jokes are solid gold, but let's go. Oh, on. okay. Hey, hey, everyone. Uh, this is the Big Bang Theory theory. No, Hi, I'm Nick. Talk, I'm Kyle, and I, I'm, I am committed now to the idea that there is a sacred book of jokes we're, in Montana. We're, we're not moving past this. this I just thought prophecy. this was the best place to start, and an explanation that hey, I'm getting over COVID, <laughs> and so. Yeah, Kyle is using figurative language, and I'm just like, a book of solid gold, you say? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. This is, uh, we're going to tell you about an episode of the television show, The Big Bang Theory, which we've been watching for over six years now, and we're 14 episodes into the sixth season, Uh, but yeah, yeah. Kyle and I, but before we started recording, I think we both got goof brain today. Kyle has been on a whirlwind of adventure, and I'm I'm trying to get over an, an illness I caught. And you know, I th- we we don't usually have like morning time radio DJ banter, but I'm going to start some. Let me tell you that 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 Seattle Tacoma airport, my oh my, 90, 90 minutes I was waiting, ninety minutes I was waiting, just breathing in people's fucking COVID breath, like it was. Uh... Oh, it was it was crazy. It was like, uh, I mean, it was. I I can't quite describe the scene, but it's like, it, it's like if a zombie movie went well and people like were evacuating en masse in an orderly but very annoyed fashion. Like the zombies are at the door, uh, but they can't get in, and everyone's like, "Fuck," you know, like. I know there's like a zombie plague or whatever, but this is still taking a really long time. Um, and I got sick, so. Uh, but with uh, with that, Kyle, um, you know, I think we've formally abandoned an actual rating system. But I like, I do like front loading with our feelings about the episode. And so, before we break into the summary of uh, season six, episode fourteen, the Cooper Kripke conversion, how do you feel about this one? Ah. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> it's uh, it it feels, I I don't want to say quite like filler, but very much like filler. <laughs> it just, well, I mean, it's funny because arguably this this episode has one of the biggest character uh, like push forward moments. In. Right. In a long time. <gasps> Is that your dear sweet baby oh, cat? Yeah, I, I was worried you were going to hear him whining in the background. My no, cat. It's totally, our, our viewers are so happy to know about your cat. I don't Do know if I ever apologize. Th- this is Dwight. He's wonderful. Uh, he also uh, absolutely manipulates me through desperate whining. And uh, he, he gets fed more than he should ever be allowed. But he's not super fat yet, so he gets away with it. And I opened the front door so he can wander out onto the patio while we record, but he still demands attention and food. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully he'll chill out. But yeah, that's my precious Dwight, a chirpin'. All right. Um, anyway, I was going to say, yes, there's definitely some character development in this uh, 
or some hints at character development in this episode, but it's yeah. dropped so casually. <laughs> what what uh, should be character development, but yeah, is just does, kind of thrown at you. Like filler. And then it does that thing that I hate, where the episode, in, like, instead of giving any kind of resolution, just sort of randomly ends in what feels like should be the middle of the episode, yeah. but is actually the end of the episode. It it does. It just, it's almost like a fade out. <laughs> It's wild. Uh, but yeah, let's. Uh, uh, my notes on today's episode are sparse. And that could partially because, uh, yeah, I, I'm still a little fuzzy. But also, this is, yeah, this episode, like, like I'll just mention, technically a huge character moment, but it's all just so flat and thin. And so I guess we almost have, well, I guess really two plots, like two and a half. But it starts with... Uh, the, the boys are hanging out with Penny in the apartment, and they realize that they can order uh, action figures of themselves, and that it's only going to be like $500 each to have this done. And Penny thinks this is uh, uh, beyond the pale, too nerdy for her, and so she convinces Leonard just through uh, implicit derision to not order one of these, but Raj and Wallowitz go for it. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, Sheldon is at uh, on the campus working on you know big theoretical physics stuff when uh, everyone's favorite character ah cheers Kripke comes in Woo! and yeah yeah that's the adulation he deserves and he's like hey man so you know how we're both working on I forget like nuclear fission yeah. reactor or something like that uh, I think fusion but yeah. fusion I, it, it doesn't matter a big expensive science thingy exactly that they both want yes and so Kripke comes in to say well yeah we're both working on that uh, we both applied for the grant uh, and it turns out we're just gonna have to work together is how they decided to split up the money so you and I are partners on this it's something that like I think if they'd focused more on this, I think it would have actually been a really interesting episode is uh, that this is essentially the A plot. Uh, Sheldon starts working with Kripke. He's apprehensive because, of course, he's like, oh, I have to work with someone below my own standards. Uh, And then he gets Kripke's work after a little bit of banter and reviews it. And he's like, Kripke is so far ahead of me. How did this happen? Like, I... Um, the, 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 and he, he seems, and it's, again, I wish they'd emphasize this, like, legitimately heartbroken, and the way he, he phrases it I thought was really cute. It's something like, you know, my, my mom is no longer the, the mama of the smartest boy at the university. <laughs> That's someone else's mama now. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing that he's insecure, and he's, he's really hurt. He feels like, how did this happen? Where did I go awry? And to uh, the credit of the other characters, they're surprisingly supportive. Like, this would be a place where Leonard, I think, after years and years of basically bullying through Sheldon, could really dig his heels in. But everyone's like, it happens, man. Like, you just, you got sidetracked. It's not a big deal. You're going you're gonna to get back up on it. And uh, as Kyle referenced, this goes nowhere. <laughs> he, he continues to confer with Kripke, uh, and the, the character development comes because Kripke is like, you know what? I bet the reason your work hasn't really been up to snuff is you've been so busy giving the good sex to Amy, right? And Sheldon, because he doesn't want to admit that he's just he just didn't get it this time, is like, y- yes, that's exactly it, Kripke. 
I've been putting my bathing suit area up against hers, and we are both thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, and so he is talking about this with um, Leonard and Penny in another m- moment that I thought was funny, where <laughs> Leonard and Penny, before even coming into the apartment where Sheldon is is brooding, uh, they hear the the Imper- the Star Wars Imperial March playing. And Leonard is like basically saying, "Oh, we maybe we should go to your place." Sheldon is going into villain mode, and when they go in, he is—he's got like a, a blanket up over his head, and he's looking all evil emperor. And I thought it was cute, but he admits to uh, Leonard and Penny that he is pretending to Kripke that he's having a whole lot of good sex with Amy because that is a more. Uh, dignified explanation than that he just is kind of a dummy sometimes and penny is like for some reason now right now we're getting to the bottom of your relationship when are you going to start fucking amy and sheldon is like you know i think someday we're gonna have to get intimate possibly right and Penny is like, this is an incredible revelation. <laughs> like, yes. I can't believe what I just heard. And she's fist pumping and she's so excited. Again, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's like a huge thing. Amy's not even a part of it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it just goes nowhere. And then um, we get back to what is the B-plot, which are these action figures. And that uh, evolves where they, they get their action figures, Raj and Wallowitz do. And they're hanging out in Wallowitz's lab. And... Real weird moment is Raj is, is um, uh, a black guy with an afro is his figure. And he's like, that doesn't look anything like me. That's weird. And you know what? You could, if you wanted to, read some racism into that. I don't really think it's necessarily there, but you could. But then Wallowitz gets his doll out and he's like, this looks like me. Why does it have a gigantic hook nose? <laughs> And, yeah, why does it, the Big Bang Theory? <laughs> what toy shop did they order into where they custom-figured a real anti-Semitic action figure specifically? Like, oh, it's so, it's like, you know, with, with how often he's racist towards Raj, I guess eventually the show had to be like, yeah, I guess we're not anti-Semitic enough, but it's so bizarre. Um... Anyway, so they're, they're disillusioned, they're sad, and then they realize that uh, they could get a 3D printer for relatively uh, little money, and Wallowitz is like, because he's like, you know what, my university job doesn't pay well, but I'm married to Bernadette, and she gets that big fucking pharma money, so this isn't a big deal. They get a 3D printer, they have fun with it, it's fine, uh, Wallowitz is like, Bernie, and this is another thing that also probably should have been its own episode, because it could have been a big relationship conversation, is Wallowitz is like, yeah, hey, look at these cute little action figures I made of us. And she's like, that's great. And he's like, yeah, we we just had to spend the $5,000 on the 3D printer. And that turns into a big blow up. And she's like, either you return that or you go make some vagina out of the 3D printer and fuck that for the rest of your life. And then it gets mad because he seems to seriously consider it in another moment that I thought was genuinely fun. You know what? So that's actually a whole episode. That was it. Uh, and I'm, I, I feel like I had to stop several times and say, I actually like this. And I think the problem I'm realizing I have with this episode is it has th- like three different completely distinct plot th- seeds 
and it's and it flushes out none of them <laughs> and yeah. everything just peters out and it's a real bummer um right so and yeah the episode the ep- just to be so we were talking about the disappointing episode the episode ends with uh with sheldon is trying to do work in his office uh and kripke is there and every time sheldon tries to uh tries to do some math or whatever Kripke is like yeah 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 but but uh tell me more about the sex yeah and and that's it that's the end that is yeah and and Sheldon you know he's now living the lie that may someday become true but yeah he's just like yeah I'm really I'm really I'm really going for it that's what's in so in any other tv show like even a lazy sitcom I feel like there would be the thesis statement that this kind of deception is unsustainable right like very rarely in a tv show do you have someone being like well i'm going to lie to this other character and it's absurd and ridiculous and then the end of the episode is well guess i'm just going to do this forever now yeah i think you know i said three distinct plots i think this should have been two separate episodes because what you just said about that unsustainable well you know maybe they could have done it i'm just gabbing now but yes it's it's huge. It's uh, and we we've since the inception of this show have tried to figure out whether Sheldon is genuinely asexual or if he's just so innocent that sex isn't something that comes to mind or if he's so focused or like you know maybe he is uh, actually hetero but just sees sex as an inconvenience you know like a base need that needs to be satisfied so many things we've wondered and yeah finally an episode that would discuss that and it's penny just directly asking and sheldon giving the most vague hypothetical answer and yeah it's like okay well I don't know. Are they going to have sex next episode? And I'm going to be like, I guess we saw it coming. Like, this isn't a surprise now. I I don't understand why they did it this way. Uh, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's something that really should be substantive and feels like they just wanted to throw it out there so you remember that the characters have some basis for growth. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's weird. First off, the first thing I was thinking about is Sheldon's – I mean, so the first thing I'm annoyed with is that Sheldon says that Kripke's proposal is better than him without us really having any context for what that means. Right. Um, so yep. – which is – it's not like that big a deal, but I didn't even like – because they're basically writing what I thought was a grant proposal. And my understanding of how grant proposals work is you don't actually put a lot of like hard – whatever in them you're basically just begging for money and promising exactly how you'll spend that money um but again i don't know I'm that's, not, that's my general that. understanding yeah you have yeah, to a, you have to justify how cool that money is going to go right so i don't actually so i can't imagine i know that grant writing is an incredibly difficult and technical process that often requires professionalization now which is a whole separate nightmare in our bureaucratic uh, hellscape, but we'll put that aside for now. I don't know what it means for Kripke to be better than Sheldon writing a grant, or why it would bother Sheldon this much. Um, but that—that's probably not oh. that important to go into. It was just something that I like noted. I um, read it differently. I—I I didn't think they were writing the grant together. I thought they'd got the grant, but that the grant was going to make 
them work together rather than be split among their projects. Oh, okay. See, that actually makes... Thank you. That makes so much more sense. You're absolutely right. Okay, so that... Like I said, it's not that important, but that does, like, kick in more with everything else in in the episode. So it's like, yes, you have this money, so now you have to... We only... Like, we could only... We had to give it to both of you. We couldn't give it to just one of you. Okay. Um... Well, that said, okay. I mean, I think it's still inter- like would be interesting to figure out, you know, what kind of revelation Kripke had that has made Sheldon so insecure that, like, Sheldon, even with his uh, incredibly thick shell of ego, yeah. would have to recognize that he's been blown out of the water somehow. Yes, that was also, like, I would have liked to have known what that means. Because normally we see him, like, when it seems like someone's smarter than him, he just digs into denial land and, and basically says, well, no, that's impossible. Yeah. Although we've also, I think this is part of a, one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, there seems to be an increasing softening of Sheldon Cooper as a character. Um which is to say, I think that like slowly over time, while they're still acknowledging that he's kind of an obnoxious person, he's becoming more of the protagonist of the show as opposed to Leonard being the protagonist of the show and yeah. uh, uh, him being sort of like a, sort of a benevolent or sympathetic antagonist. So it seems like like certain aspects of Sheldon's character, such as like his unflinching, un. Uh, unconquerable ego might be getting shrunk you know just to make him more sympathetic as the show goes on you know you say that about sheldon and i i think it's true but i was thinking uh the same thing you know it doesn't matter as much because he's a bit character but like kripke uh is not mean at all in this episode it's so like when he was introduced if I recall correctly, he is supposed to be like their weird little antagonist. They're like, right. hey, He's we're all... nemesis. Yeah, we're a bunch of dorks, and there's a dork on the other team, and he's got this comical speech impediment, and that's his whole thing. And he's showed up since then, but, like, this is, again, where, like, not only does Leonard not take advantage of the situation to see Sheldon vulnerable and, like, to dig in, which... You know, good on him, but also, I don't know, it feels like a missed opportunity. But Kripke seems to have zero ego about the situation. He is, if anything, like, totally under, like, it, and maybe it's it's really just the, the cloud of sex uh, and, and mystery that's hanging around Sheldon. But yeah, he's like, I get it, man. Like, yeah, if you went off track. Like, I trust that if you fucking put your nose down, it's going to go great, and we're going to do this fine. He basically is like, bitches, you know? I get it. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's wild. Like, it, he, I, I don't want him necessarily to be mean to Sheldon, my precious boy Sheldon, but that's his job. That's yes. his, what he, like, why did, what's he doing? <laughs> yeah, it's more of a, it's more of a character, like, anchor than just, like, weird, horny, like, co-worker. Uh, weird voyeuristic uh what's the word living uh living vicariously yes through someone else role player uh but uh anyway not gonna even think too hard about that what also i was going to say is i don't think you would do that like what sheldon is doing both kind of makes sense to me but does not seem like something that i could see either of us doing which is kripke basically offers his ego an out which is 
you can, you know, you you don't have to admit that you're incompetent. Just say that you've been distracted because you've been having too much sex. And and my immediate thought was like, not even so. Much, I don't know what I would do in this circumstance. But everything I know, tell me if I'm right or wrong about this, Nick. Everything that I know about you as a person tells me that if someone said, ah, you've probably just been too busy living your life, you'd be like, oh, no, 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 don't let me off the hook that easily. I'm a shitty person and I do not deserve that kind of consideration. It is, I am immediately going to disabuse you of the notion that there's anything else that could be getting in the way of my performance. I am just bad at this. Not only that, Kyle, but I once was scolded on an early... Uh, just out of law school project, I, I was slowing down because uh, I, I was having sex with somebody. And my boss didn't know that, but she was like, get your shit together. And I was like, you're right. Hey, <laughs> this this has got to stop. I, I've got serious law work to do. I've got to get outside of you, lady. So, uh, yeah, it had the, my limited experience in the situation, I was like, fuck, I've got to get my act together. If it, Yeah. Uh, also... Not just that, but uh, oh god! Even even just watching Kripke ask the questions makes me so uncomfortable. Like I I live in this strange realm where I have a filthy, disgusting mind, and I'm really not uncomfortable talking about just about anything sexual stuff related. But personally, I am so sheepish and weird. That if anyone asks me like a genuine question about my sex life, I'm just like, oh man, I don't. Oh, can't can't we just agree I'm stupid? Can't get can't that be the explanation? I'm yeah. a fucking dummy, okay? <laughs> like, oh, it's yeah, and and he also, it's like a kind of a guy that maybe it's just because I'm so sequestered into my own little social circle, I don't interact with anymore. But it otherwise doesn't seem to exist in my world. <laughs> is that guy who's like, so what? Yeah, really give it to her. How huh? use use some tools or some toys? Huh? What 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 kind of positions you go through? And it's like that fucking HR lady. Like she yeah, knows what's going on at this point. Like that's, that's true. <laughs> like she's probably got a bug in the office. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Anything else about this one, Kyle? Like. It, I, I think I liked it about it, but none of them delivered. That's that's my general feeling. Uh, oh, I will say, um, I did kind of. I mean, they spent way too much money, but I in in the uh, Big Bang Theory characters, they're just like us uh, segment of the week, which I I really think we should just make a regular segment. <laughs> um, I literally. You know, in the episode, I think they pay like five hundred dollars a piece for those terrible, terrible action figures. Yes, uh, which is uh, ridiculous—an absurd amount of money to spend. That being said, Hasbro recently announced a program where you can take an image of your—you can basically take pictures of yourself using a cell phone act, app and then pay seventy dollars to have your face put on one of their molds of either your choices are GI Joe, Power Ranger. Uh, Ghostbuster, or I think there are a couple of others, but if you think my mind was immediately like, yes, yes, I will pay $70 to be the Red Power Ranger, yes, absolutely, I will do that. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Hasbro. You would be out of your mind to think that I would not want that for myself, so... It's, it's weird that you went with the Power Ranger, because when you men- as soon as you mentioned Power Rangers, I was like, those bitches wear masks. 
you can just you can just have a red Power Ranger figure, Kyle, and just you're very well that, inside. <laughs> just tell yourself, yeah, but if you took off that helmet, that's me, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. So the choices include uh, I was just looking this up. So which of these would you most like to be, Nick, if you could be an action? Well, actually, we let's forget about the real choices. If you could have your head on any action figure body, what would you want to own forever? Okay, so, well, here's another nerd thing or anti-nerd thing about me. Uh, I've never been into action figures or toys. I've never understood it. It's And it's not like I think it's beneath me as a nerd or anything like that is not it at all it's more that like if something doesn't have a function i'm like what am i gonna do with this so i i have the inability to play is the real thing that is is behind that um that said that it's not video games that's not video games let's because i that's it does all the fucking imagining for me thank god because i got nothing upstairs um i think I would want to go with something like a G.I. Joe because, you know, anything that has something akin to a kung fu grip, there, now I have a purpose. Hooray. I can be that. So, I just have to... Oh, it's agreeing with... Because that's Sheldon's response in this episode. They're like, oh, hey, yeah! Sheldon, would you also like to be an action figure with us? And he goes, will the action figure have a kung fu grip? And they go, no. And he goes, stop wasting my time. That was in no way uh, an intentional callback. But yeah, that is just I, something again, I have in common with Sheldon. Once characters just like us. Just like us. Official new segment, baby. <laughs> Good work, Kyle. Oh, man. What about um, you? Oh, you said Power Ranger already. Is that your answer? Or? Oh, yeah. Nice. It's from way back. It's I'm a child at heart, and they're, for whatever reason, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is always my go-to nostalgia kick. Well, you know, since we're already just talking about toys we would like to be, uh, let's talk about our nerdy thing of the week. Unless, Kyle, do you have any last things you want to get in here no, first? I do have one more. So since you sort of dodged the action figure question. Not dodged. You gave a perfectly reasonable answer. But Yeah, I, I told you I want to be a G.I. Joe type thing. Yeah. So totally different. But uh, as long as we're playing around with new segments, uh, I, I like this idea of like, would you rather or what if you could? So if you could get Isekai to any video game universe that, uh, from a video game, what universe would you like to be Isekai to? Well, this is embarrassing for me, because I'm going to tell you, I have zero confidence what you're meaning when you say Isekai'd. Oh, it's a genre of Japanese uh, anime where a character gets transported to a fantasy world, but the, you know, which is, again, could be like Chronicles of Narnia or anything else, but even more specifically in the subgenre, the rules are almost always specified that, like, the fantasy world basically is a video game world. Like, you know, it's it's full of, like... uh, you know, classes and, okay. and mechanics and stuff like that. So the rules are intelligible to him as, like, a person who has never been there before. He can just be like, yes, I get it. There's an evil, dark overlord, and there are yeah. various yeah. classes to choose from. And I Wouldn't you know it? Your, your nerdy skill set happens to be the thing that makes you the hero in this world. Yes. And so, so that... I mean, saying that, you get it immediately. The funny-slash-sad thing is that in Japan, there are approximately 50 of these TV shows. Well, Kyle... the single most popular new genre of anime and manga. As you were describing it, I I didn't think of a video game world. My first thought was, uh, I want to live in the, the Gummy Bears world from the Disney cartoon. Like, just fucking bouncing around on my ass, drinking lean all day. That kicks ass. 
Um, I, if a video game world, uh, God, Bloodborne's not a good answer. But that's, no. like, that's that's the world that I think uh, of all games I've played, maybe like the last five years, has really stuck with me the most. I think I, I it took a long time to click, but once it clicked, I fucking got the yarn of madness. But um, yeah, I don't know. In an early Final Fantasy game where like it's still fun and cute and people know how to shut the fuck up. Like, I can, you know, I can pal around with cactuars and chocobos. And, oh, 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 right tactics. into chocobo. Yeah, tactics that, would be pretty cool. The, the obvious answer there is, and not, and I mean, if you want to be slight, not tactics the original, you want the Game Boy Advance, Ivalice and Game Boy Advance, because that's like easily like the most classes, most fun, most lighthearted of any of them. Yeah, you know, that would be nice too, because, uh, this isn't gonna do, do, go too, too far off the rails here, but yeah, part of that game, as you know, Kyle, uh, is the, the judge system where they come in and it's like every battle, you know, it's not it's not seriously life or death. It's like an actual just game, and to live in a world where you could, yeah, just have uh, just just murder each other with uh, without consequence. That's eh, a lot of fun. I like that. Uh, so yeah, you know what, Kyle? With with your hope, uh, with your help, I'm gonna go for that that cute little uh, Ivalice, uh Final Fantasy world. What about you? Oh, Were you no, gonna Isekai too? Oh, I didn't. I didn't put that much uh, thought into it. This was. This felt like such a personal. I mean, I was already like I would be a Power Ranger, and so. Uh, so so I, okay. So your your genuine Power Ranger answer. Like is the equivalent of my genuine video game answer, and we've we've balanced out. Yes, I'll let you get away with that. But, but if we you will ha- come back, I mean, I will have more. Now the the new segment is not the new segment is just building out this world where Nick Hyde is is a guy to a video game saying. So next time we'll figure out what class you would be, but we don't have to do this today. Oh God! I mean, immediately Final Fantasy Three Scholar because they don't have spells. They don't, they don't, there's nothing that indicates they read the books. They're, they use books as weapons. But all they do is just beat the fucking shit out of you with a book. Like, that's, I so can wait, be, what stat, like, like, do the different books have different, like, attack stats? I, well, I think the different books have elemental properties. So that's, you know, rather than using magic, you can equip a flame. <laughs> you can be a big beefy guy with a flaming encyclopedia that you crush a goblin with. So that's uh, that's what I'm into. Um, I love real. that for you. I'll call myself the Bible thumper. I don't know. Um, all right, let's get yeah, let's get a nerdy thing. Uh, so Kyle, I have, I, I think I'm going to go too many recommendations this week. Do you have anything ready? Do you want to go first or should I? Uh, you can go first. Okay, too many recommendations. The first one. Uh, so, yeah, I mentioned I've got the COVID and mostly over it, but when my symptoms were first starting to set in a little over a week ago, and I, there's like that period where you're getting sick and it's almost comfortable because your body is shutting down, but it doesn't quite hurt yet. And I was really leaning into one of those nights, and I was like, you know, why not? Why not watch the nearly three-hour-long uh, Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie? And... Here's the reason it's a mini recommendation is I can't confidently say it's a good movie. Um, however, boy, is it a fun experience. 
Uh, I don't know how many people are even like aware of or familiar with Boz Lerman because on the one hand, he does like you know really big Hollywood movies. Almost everybody knows Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't crank out a lot, and he is like his niche is so specific. Where yeah, like particularly Moulin Rouge, and I also. Boy, if you wanted to make a 19-year-old Nick Hyde cry, you show him Romeo plus Juliet, I tell you. Um, and the thing about uh-huh. his... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the thing about his movies, and this is what I really liked about Elvis, is... Um, so, like, and Elvis is weird because it's a, it's a biopic, but it does not in any way attempt to be realistic. Like, everything looks like a set, everything looks fake... But it's supposed to, because Boz Lerman movies do not exist in the real world. They don't follow our rules. At some point, while no, watching they're like stage theatrical events that just yes. have to be filmed. Yes, exactly. And like at one point, I am watching the Elvis biopic, and I'm like, "Fuck, was that Doja Cat?" And then, <laughs> and then you start hearing her rapping in the background. I'm like, "I don't think this is my daddy's Elvis. Like, this is this is insane." And um, something that I also, when I started watching it, like I almost turned it off because I was like, this is so overwhelming. It is, I was thinking about it today and it's, it's almost like, a, it's like a nonstop montage. Like no one ever stops to just like take a breath and like let a scene just kind of hang. That is not what Boz Lerman is into. It is just go, 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 go. And um like I said, I, I, I found, first I found that pretty like, uh, not shocking, but like I don't want to say obnoxious, but like hard, just hard to get into. But after a point, I just I just like let it wash over me, and I'm like, this I'm this is just a fever dream. This is just this is like a synesthetic experience. It's just lights and pictures that vaguely have meaning. This uh, okay, um, and so yeah, that's. That's why I recommend Elvis. Also, I don't want to say it all. When I said it's not necessarily a good movie, it's, it's, I certainly don't think it's a bad movie either. Like, I don't think it's trash or anything like that. It's just, you know, it has zero subtlety or nuance. And so it's very much like a hit-you-over-the-head, very much on-the-nose movie. But it's it's a lot of fun, I thought. Also, I, I have to mention, it, the, the, the main thing of... Oh, I, I won't even start with Tom Hanks because I won't be able to stop if I do. Uh, it, it really focuses a lot on how Elvis was just too horny for this world, and I, I really loved that. And uh, my other mini recommendation, and I'm pretty sure I've recommended this before, but uh, when we were, I was killing time before we started the podcast today, and I started playing Streets of Rage 4 again, and God, that game is fun. Uh, it's just, oh, it's so fast satisfying. You know, uh, if you're interested in fighting games, you can go look at, uh, like, you know, like beat em ups, not like. Wait, which versus... Streets of Rage? 4. The most recent one uh, that I think came out on everything, but it was uh, developed or produced or whatever by uh, Dot Emu, and oh, it's great. And I uh, I don't even have any nostalgia factor here because I never played the old Streets of Rage games. Like I always knew about them, but I didn't know they were a big deal or how much people loved them. But it's just such a it's such a solid, satisfying beat 'em up, and it's. Uh, I've been really overdoing it with JRPGs lately where I'm like, fuck, should I just stop playing video games? This is this is a nightmare. 
but and then to be able to pick something up and be like, oh yeah, it's sometimes fun to push buttons. This is cool. That's it's refreshing. So those are my recommendations. Kyle, isn't isn't oh. streets Streets of Rage like takes place in the same universe as some other game, right? It doesn't isn't aren't Fatal Fury and Streets of Rage like both in the same universe? I don't think so, but I so so Streets of Rage is uh was specifically a Sega property. I I don't know who owns it now. And it's, yeah, series of side scrolling beat 'em ups. Fatal Fury also early 90s fighting game. But that is, uh, if I am, if I'm right about this, that's in the SNK universe of the the King of Fighters world, and so I used to get confused because I didn't understand. Yeah, Fatal Fury, uh, King of Fighters, like Samurai um, Samurai Showdown, I think shares characters, even though they're completely different universes, but. Yeah, I do not think Streets of Rage is connected, but I'm not sure it's not either. So I don't know. I don't know. Oh no, I was I I got it completely wrong. It was uh, I'm looking it up here. It was uh, Final Fight. Oh yes, Hagar and Hagar is a <coughs> fighter character as well. Which but that's but that's because they're both Capcom games. Well, yeah, and with Final Fight, uh, I think the original Final Fight was supposed to be the sequel. To the original Street Fighter, not Street Fighter 2, but the first one that's really bad. <laughs> and so, yeah, those universes are connected. And then Final Fight characters show up all the time in Street Fighter games as playable characters. So, yeah, those are a shared universe. Okay, so sorry to drag you. You know continuity is very important to me as a person. Um, but, uh, okay, so anyway, my recommendations um, are just the one. Uh, so I've been reading um, a book by – well, I'll start with this. So last weekend, the weekend before this one, I went back to uh, – for my 10-year college reunion. Um, and I won't get into uh, – you know, it was fine. It was really boring, basically, catching <laughs> up on a bunch of people I hadn't seen in 10 years, seeing, you know, most of us mellowed out, uh, which is a good thing. Um the ones who did not mellow out did not make the reunion. Which oh, thank sense. goodness. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, so I went, without name-dropping or anything, I went to a small liberal arts school that was obsessed with, like, philosophy and classical literature and stuff like that. And so everybody in my program was, like, super-duper just, like, sort of weirdly, like, insulated from modernity in the fact that we were, like, studying all of this stuff that just had no... That, well you know, was all like the stepping stones and the building blocks of like the modern world just had no immediate like interface to it. Like the idea that you would read like a a textbook or something that was written after like the 1900s was just, un- it just wasn't how we did like things. You're, you're reading the Aeneid and you know you're getting something out of it, but you can't really... <laughs> articulate yeah yeah not only are you reading the aeneid but like the idea that you would teach like a media studies course or something would just be like what why that is just antithetical to what we do here um so anyway that's neither the merits or demerits of that are something i'm not prepared to debate today but uh along with that i started reading this book that i'm really into called uh anathem by neil stevenson so neil stevenson is a uh science fiction 
writer uh, who's written many, many books that are, depending on what kind of person you are, will depend on which your favorite is, if you've heard of any of them at all. But he's probably most famous if one of his books was like a breakout, like cross cross-cultural smash it was probably snow crash which is one of like the which i think was in the 90s but was like the spiritual successor to like um neuromancer and those it was like the 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 second like the updated uh cyberpunk novel that was like hyper definitive of what cyberpunk would look like for the 90s instead of the 80s um maybe even the early 2000s but i think it came out in the 90s um anyway uh do you ever read snow crash nick or have you at least heard of it i've heard of it and i uh am familiar with uh very broadly yeah his work and the his importance in cyberpunk but uh you're already telling more me more than i already knew so (laughs) that's fine i've never read it either it's on my list but i may never get around to it but anyway i'm reading anathem anathem is a is just coincidentally uh, a science fiction novel that is set. Uh, I mean, even figuring out exactly how to describe the is like part of the weird philosophical challenge of the book. It's either set on an alien world or it's set on a version of our world that is in a different dimension. It's not clear, but it's definitely not set on Earth. It's set in a world that's not so different from ours, but is probably in the future compared to like our timeline where. Um, Society has, like, had another dark age that it, at least one other dark age that it has, like, recovered from in the interim. And as part of, like, figuring things out, it's created a new system where basically everybody who, like, takes, like, again, philosophy or math or science super seriously, like, lives in these giant monasteries, um that only open their doors to the outside world at very specific intervals. And actually it's not the same interval. So like in a given uh, monastery, there are people who like interact with the outside world once a year. And then there are people who interact with the outside world once every 10 years, all the way up to there are thousanders who thousanders literally only ever open their doors um, to interact with the outside world once every thousand years. Um, And so Basically, but behind each set of walls are people doing like isolated experiments and like science and math with like no uh, no knowledge of what's going on in the broader outside world. Um, And so sometimes like, you know, you know, whole political systems like rise and like if you imagine like just the stuff that happens in the course of 100 years, like society changes a lot and they just don't like deal with that too much. Um, instead they speak like their own like antiquated language, which is just like probably like some version of Latin would be to us. And they, you know, they have their own set of books and, uh, and stuff like that. And it reminded me a lot. It was, it's funny because the book is obviously support, like at least partially about like what it's like to have like a classical liberal arts education in the modern world. (laughs) Um, but it's also cool because it makes it so much – so, like, again, this is the future. So, like, some of the stuff that these people figured out how to do at some point before 
there was an apocalypse is still only known how to do by like some of these secret monks so like in addition to like all of the boring stuff where they do like you know traditional geometry and stuff like that they have like their robes are made out of like nanotechnology that no one else knows how to make anymore and you know they they uh they probably know how to build like laser death rays and stuff inside like but you know they just it's not polite to ask them about it and they keep that knowledge to themselves so there's it's all sorts of fun um like that but it's basically it's simultaneously um like most of neil stevenson's novels that i have read it is both like a a pretty fun like science fiction story just like a what if you know all of this happened and then it is also like this this like secret backdoor philosophical treatise on like science and philosophy and quantum mechanics and stuff like that so as the story develops there's all of this like basically attempts to like teach you about like you know multiversal theory and quantum mechanics and other ways of thinking about how consciousness works and all of that stuff that's all fun but um on the surface of the story it's like boy sure would be crazy to be a monk who never like in the future right um yeah. So I like all of that. I uh, I'm I'm very much into this uh, science monk idea, and feel like I'm gonna have to be a nerd and read something now. Jeez. Yeah, it's called Anathem by Neil Stevenson again, and it's at one point in the story you meet some like it it does deal with like different arc like stereotypes about monks. So the monks you meet in the story are mostly like the boring like you know monks that you think of in like Western culture, but you definitely at one point you meet these monks from the other side of the world, and they all wear like red nano robes and you don't fuck with those guys because they definitely can kill you like they have spent the like while these people have spent the last thousand years like studying geometry those people in that other place have spent the last thousand years figuring out the most efficient way to kill you with their pinkies so you don't mess with them i i like the idea of being in one of maybe the more uh chill cyber monk sects and yeah going a thousand years of being like Oh, yeah, you know, not only have we uh, really started to understand the foundational basis of a lot of the sciences in a way that we haven't, but we're really starting to understand the way that they even have uh, come to influence our philosophy and the very meaning of what we're doing here. And, man, it's us after a thousand years of understanding. I can't wait to see what surely other people have similarly been up to this entire time. What a pleasant exchange this is. This must be. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> You've actually captured the vibe of the book quite well. <laughs> All right. I'm into it. <laughs> so... <sighs> ah, well, thus concludes, I suppose, uh, another journey with, with our amazing friends from the Big Bang Theory. We love them all. We love Wally. I'm starting to call him that now. Uh, Bernie. They go together. Also, you know, this has nothing to do with the episode, nothing to do with anything, but every time Bernadette comes on screen and is, like, within three feet of Wallowitz, I'm like, she's so way too hot for him. Like, uh-huh. I know they, they try to make her a nerd, but she's she's very attractive. And that uh, stupid television show. They do, <sighs> and it's clear that they've kind of, it's become so big a problem at this point that they have nothing left to, like, they can't figure out what to do with Wallowitz as a character because they're like, he won. He won the show. Everybody else is still, like, he didn't deserve to win the show, but he just accidentally did. And so, like... That's what do we do with him now? There's some sort of lesson to be learned there, I think, where his character 
got the most rewards just to settle down, who who is very obviously, let's generously call him the most sex assaultiest character. <laughs> like what 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 lesson do we get from that? <laughs> like the most horrible, overbearing, disgusting of the characters is the one that it all worked out fine, and now he Yeah, we just have to put up with him. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about this more two weeks from now, I guess. I don't know. Goodbye. <laughs>